I am Liz hirschdorf tolly and welcome to the Capital Coffee Connection podcast. And the reason for this podcast is to meet with our elected leaders and have conversations, just as if we were having coffee in a coffee shop, so we're having coffee. My guest today is a senator from the great state of Pennsylvania. He is running for re-election, but we're not here to talk about politics. We're here to talk about heart and humanity, because I think that as we learn more and more about each other, no matter what party or where we come from, we actually can come together. So as I was thinking about you and our conversation, I was thinking a, a few guests ago, uh, we were talking about the sandwich generation. As a person, you're taking care of your parents and your children. And so I've been there. I had little kids and I had elderly parents and I, I understand that. And I don't necessarily say the same thing for you in terms of the personal, we can talk about it, but I look at your career overall as sort of being in that sandwich where you have spent so much time taking care and making sure that children were taken care of and the elderly were taken care of and people that were in, in need. But I look specifically at those two groups in terms of where your passion has been. So I wanted to welcome you and I thought that was an interesting way to kind of explain who I think you are from what I've seen. And we're gonna learn a lot more in a few minutes about your heart and your humanity. Well, let's thank you very much for that introduction. I, I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but I think it's an accurate summation of some of the work I've done. But recently, I just had an experience with uh, the dynamics of that sandwich generation with, with my mother. We were just talking a moment ago yeah. about her passing on the 11th of August. But I can't say it's, it's an experience personal to me as an individual because I wasn't doing much of the work. It was my sisters right. who were caring for her over many, many years, often not directly, not, not direct caregivers, but making sure that she had the care that she needed. Right. When she needed to get to the doctor, when she needed to have an operation, when she ultimately needed in-home care, basically 24-hour care, yes. it was my four sisters and my wife. It pains me to say this, but it's true. Uh, the women almost exclusively in the family my mother had four daughters and four sons, and I'm one of the four sons that didn't do nearly as much as my sisters. But I think it's typical that in so many American families when there is uh, caregiving responsibilities or at least assisting caregiving, that women are shouldering that burden. And it's, it's, a, it's a very heavy burden that, that yes. uh, so many women face. Your mother just hearing that, I honor her just knowing that she raised eight children and that four of them right. were boys. But could you talk a little bit about what it was like to grow up and what your mom was like? Your dad, I know, was also a leader. And, and give everybody a brief idea of where you come from. Um, sometimes people think we just, you, you appear, just you're appear. a senator, you've appeared, you know? No, I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which I, where I still live. Spent most of my life there, uh, all but a few years in college, law school, and then a few years around that time in my 20s, but have, have, was blessed to, to live in a community that was that was safe and nurturing, and starting with my parents. They had, I guess you might describe it, to say it was a good marriage as an understatement, it was kind of a, a storybook marriage, the kind of marriage everybody would want, where every day of our lives we knew that they loved us. And my father never made a ton of money till much later in his life when he was in between elections and joined a big law firm. But growing up, we 
were never wanting. We had enough to eat. We had shelter. We had education. We had the blessings of uh, two remarkable parents. And when you raise eight, you realize that now my, my wife, Teresa, and I have four daughters. Uh, That's a lot. Four is a lot these days. I, I, at some point, I realized that my daughters, with regard to Teresa and me, w w with, with her, they, they gave her love and respect. And to me, they gave love. Because <laughs> they, they, actually, they actually feared her more than they feared me. But when I was growing up, we were really blessed to have that nurturing environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the benefits of a what I would call an upper middle class life, and all that that meant, and it gave each of us a, a real foundation. It it helped us years later be better parents, to be better spouses, I think better citizens. Yeah. What did your mother impart to you that you've carried on through? Because she was a special person, and we talked a little bit about her heart and her kindness, and how has that carried on in the work you do? as an elected I think, official. I think what she taught us, and, and usually by way of example, not always by by talking at us or, or preaching, but there were times when she would repeat things, which is something that, that we should all remind ourselves of. When you think you're having a tough day, think things aren't going well for you, yeah. you can always point to someone else that's having a much more difficult day or difficult Same. month or year or, or lifetime. She, I, I think by more by way of example, not by what she said. Yeah. She taught us how to treat people with dignity and respect, no matter who they are. And I mentioned when she passed in August, we had a viewing at a, a church where the funeral was. And because she was so well-known and, and she was 91, she had also, when my father was only elected governor, he had run for governor multiple times and lost. When he finally won, she was thrust into this role as first lady. So she had... From that, and from from uh, for other reasons, had a had some prominence, but despite all that prominence, and despite all of the the different kinds of people she met throughout her life, there was one theme running throughout that wake line: seven hours and forty-five minutes of people coming to pay their respects. It was the same sentiment, whether they were some elected official that knew her in a her capacity, right. political dynamic, or whether it was someone that she that, that helped her at a store or mm -hmm. waited on her at a restaurant or something like that. She, um, it was the same theme. I was, she was always kind to us. She always, she used to remember people's names. I don't know how she did it. She might see them once every 10 years and she'd remember who they were. It's a gift. Yeah, it really is a gift. It's almost like a supernatural ability. But despite her prominence as a citizen, she treated everyone the same. And she she didn't have different rules for different people. Yes. Everyone got the same treatment. So I think that's that's a kind of a life lesson that I yeah. I was blessed to have imparted to me. Did you have a teacher or somebody that inspired you through school? A lot of people have had a teacher that just was somebody that really got them uh, through tough times, or at least motivated them, or they look back and say, if it weren't for this teacher. Yeah, I think for me it was both teachers and coaches. Right. Um, I, what sports did you play? Basketball. Okay. Um, in high school, through high school, you know, we were younger, it was Little League baseball and yeah. sandlot football, those kinds of things. Um, so I remember in, in one particular case, I was on the junior varsity basketball team as a sophomore and then later played on the varsity team. 
But our coach, who was both the junior varsity coach and the assistant on the varsity, his name was Jack Lyons. He's, Jack is still around, a resident of Scranton. But he challenged you in a very, I'll call it a primitive way. It wasn't like, hey, I hope you can, hope you can play defense and do well, and don't worry if you make a mistake. When you made a mistake, you got the hell kicked out of you, verbally at least. Yes. But he pushed you to, to, to do your best and to um, endure some pain. For example, in basketball, people don't think about it as a, as a sport like football, but it is really, in, in large measure, a contact sport. Yes. And if the ball went on the floor and you didn't dive on the floor, which can hurt if you don't do it the right way, diving on top of a basketball on a hard floor, if you didn't do that, he would, he would punish you for it. And as a 15-year-old, I probably needed some of that. <laughs> it, sounds, it almost sounds no, crazy. I, 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 but he pushed you and pushed you to do your best. Because he believed in you. He knew you could he did. better. He did. And he knew you had potential. And I think his belief in me, even though I wasn't a great scorer, gave me confidence that I could do something difficult. But but I was fortunate that I had it's an interesting combination of Catholic IHM nuns, sisters, and Jesuit priests. So throughout my education, I, we had lay teachers as well, but I had eight years of Catholic nuns and lay teachers. And then from for high school and college, I had I went to Jesuit high school and college. So I think the 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 overarching theme or, or lesson that I learned from that is trying to commit yourself to excellence. In other words, if you have a subject you're supposed to study or or a, an assignment, yeah. try your best to achieve a level of excellence, which I didn't always achieve. But um, but they pushed you to do it. They did. And they and and I think the the same they said it in different ways, but the nuns and the Jesuit priests uh, taught us to to do your best to lead a life for others. Those two words for others, and uh, we're blessed to have that those good examples. Yeah. And talk about your wife because she's had to. You talk about her in respect to helping with your mom. Yeah. She helped. She raised four kids. I'm not saying she helped. That you may have helped. She raised four kids. She did most of it. Um, and talk about her commitment also because to give you the opportunity to do what you do, yeah. which is to lead in the Senate and not be home all that much. And then how you also find time to be with your girls. I know they're older now, but how you found time to be participating in family life. A remarkable sacrifice. Therese had a, uh, a really significant career before um, her daughter Elise was born. She was uh, an economics accounting major at Holy Cross, where we met in Massachusetts, and uh, was a stellar student there. And she had a job right out of college, working for what was then Pete Barwick, Pete Barwick Mitchell, what was one of the big five accounting right. jobs at the time. And that led to a job here in Washington. She worked for the Washington Post, but on the corporate side, she was the coordinator of financial reporting for the Post. They had all kinds of SEC filings complicated stuff and she was um, the, the, the lead on that so she had a significant career that she could have continued and she set that aside to raise our daughters and then ultimately um, I guess when my youngest daughter was the, the year my youngest daughter Marina was born um, that's when I launched my career in politics and I haven't left politics since yeah. politics and government she has uh, given a tremendous sacrifice to, to allow me to continue the work that I do and um, just did 
a remarkable job raising our daughters. I mean, they are loving and, and uh, successful and um, just wonderful people. Ninety nine point nine percent because of the mom. I I, I didn't uh, do nearly as much as uh, some dads do, but I was really really fortunate. And Teresa and I met blind date. I don't know if you want to hear that story. You met on a blind date, but now I want to hear a little bit. Yeah. Here's the, I'll try to give you the short version. Uh, we're seniors in college. I don't really know her that well. I've met her, but I don't know her. But a lot of her, her friends know each other. And her roommate calls me, Mary Beth Finnegan, calls me on the phone on a Saturday and says, and you, this is like one of these conversations you'll never forget. She, phone rings, I answer it. She says, Bob, it's MP. That was her name yeah. for Mary Beth. I said, MP, what's going on? She said, uh, would you like to go to the, the Lehigh Dorm Blind Date Ball with Therese. And I said, sure. I don't know her really, but I'll go. <laughs> so, wow. So there, there ensues a, like a two-week period where I knew I was going with her. I couldn't tell her. That was the rule. So I tried to get to know her. In that two-week period, it was an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> I walked up to her in the, li in the, the library, and she was economics accounting major, burning a hole through a book. I tried to have a conversation with her. She looked up and said, I've got a test tomorrow. I can't talk to you. So it didn't work out. Then I was late for the oh, dance gosh. by at least an hour. She was waiting at a cocktail party. Had no idea who I was, who was going to be. She had no yeah, idea yeah. day with. So I showed up, walked, started walking down the hallway, kind of giving a, the wave of the guilty that I was late. And she said, oh, it's you. Oh, gosh, yes. That's literally what she said. I know it sounds a little dramatic, but it was. And then... We kept dating and married. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. And it's, cute. it's a sweet story. <laughs> it's, um, it, it gives people hope. Story. And it gives people hope, right? Yeah. Um, so what is the best advice you've ever received and the worst advice you've ever received? I, I would say this as a, for the work that I do as a public official. The best advice, I wouldn't say it was one piece, but it was a series of related okay. pieces of advice. Probably came from my father who who um, had a who held himself and would hold every other public official to very high standards, and if you didn't meet those standards, he, he didn't want to look at you. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's really yes. rigorous about um, your your obligation as a public servant. And part of the advice he gave me was to, um, when you're a public official in your office, whether it's a an office in a county or it's a U.S. Senate office or a state government office, whatever it is, you've got to convey the, you've got to make it very clear what the ethical rules are when you start. If anything, you should try to make them tougher than, than what's required of you. And and hold yourself and all of your employees to that standard. Yes. So it's probably the best advice because it's the one thing a public official can control, what happens in their office, what their ethical standards are. The worst advice, though, sometimes you get bad advice in a campaign. I don't want to. I don't want to pin that on anybody because I can't think of one specific okay. example. Yeah, I get it. In general, that people give you bad advice and they yeah. like, then you have to figure out yeah. what to do. Whether it's sometimes you know it's bad, other times you don't, and you follow it, and then you realize. And you realize you just got. Yeah, yeah I can hear you. <laughs> okay, so now I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. They're quick uh -huh. questions. It's one a lightning, word, round. lightning round. Lightning yeah. round. One word, or if you yeah. want to explain it, that's fine. Okay. It's not just one word. Um, what is your favorite sound? Well, you know, we've had the, the blessing for most of my life of being um, at a lake. <clears throat> so the, the 
the, the water hitting the shore is a it's beautiful. Remind, and often you can hear it at night because at night sound travels a lot faster. You can hear it more clearly. So that's actually a beautiful that's memory a good one. for me. That's a good one. What is your favorite color? Blue. Okay. And what is your favorite scent or smell? It could be food. It could be na something in nature. Um, I guess, um, I don't know. Maybe it's more seasonal. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm a real sucker for anything that has pumpkin, like pumpkin spice stuff at this time of the year. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Who is your biggest cheerleader? Well, I have to say my wife Therese, yeah. who um, also gives me very candid and sometimes racingly candid advice or feedback. Well, on behalf of our country and probably <laughs> Pennsylvania, you say thank you because it's important, right? No, she, she's been, uh, as I said, she's sacrificed a lot yeah. to have me do what I do. Yeah. Um, if you were stuck on a desert island, what would be the one meal you would hope to find there to eat? One meal. Well, you know, I have a new thing that I've been trying for the last, most of the last year. And I I, I believe it's, it's healthier than what I've been doing prior to this. Okay. But I think I added too many things that, reduce the health benefits, but that's make smoothies. Peanut butter, I try to put in a little bit of, obviously frozen fruit is the core of it, um, some kind of milk or something. But, but then um, I throw in a little bit of spinach or kale. Ah, so some good whole like greens. microscopic amounts. Okay, a little bit of greens, okay. Um, I don't think you can get that. Do you make your own island. smoothies? You just do them yourself? Do, yeah. And you're creative, you're like the, you're the creative. I wouldn't say I'm creative, but I'm, I'm diligent. Okay, good. That sounds good. Um, what is your favorite music? Um, I like a lot of kind of top 40 or, or traditional kind of rock and roll, but mostly Springsteen. I start with him. Um, I like Adele. You know, guys don't always say that. But yeah. I do. Um, I, I grew up with kind of listening to like the Supreme, the Motown. Yeah, Motown. Still love Motown. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. And I'm sure you don't have one, because, but it's still a yeah. question I've asked folks. Do you have a favorite household chore? Um, I often, I don't, I haven't done it lately, but I used to take pride in cutting the grass. Okay. I farmed it out lately to someone who's helping us. Well, you've been um, a busy, so, been busy. Yeah. But, but, um, but that kind of work, I mean, I take the garbage out, but but again, Therese does everything. Yeah. She. I look forward to meeting Therese. Does gardening. She even tiled a, a bathroom floor when we moved into her house where now we moved in 1991. But she actually tiled a floor. I don't know how you do that. As someone who's mechanically disinclined. Yes, yes. Um, do, do you... If you and Therese were going to travel somewhere, where would it be that you haven't been before? And not work-related, just for fun. Yeah, that we haven't been. There are certainly parts of the country that I haven't been. Now, she she may have, when she was growing up, her, her mom and dad were better at uh, making sure they traveled. But um, somewhere in the country, but but also uh, if, if we're talking about across the world, um, I've, I've been to a lot of places um, for, for work that she hasn't been. 
uh, in the old, when I was on the Foreign Relations Committee, especially, I would I'd go to places like Afghanistan and Pakistan, and she wasn't able to go on those trips. But um, uh, but there's just there's just so many parts of the world we haven't had yeah. a chance to see yeah. as a couple. Yeah. I'm going to switch a little bit back to your state. I, we could go on for hours, but I'm going to ask you, what are three to five of the best things about Pennsylvania? Well, I think I'd start with the people. Okay. It's 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 about as diverse uh, a group of Americans you can imagine. We've got so much diversity and variety. Uh, big cities like Philly and Pittsburgh, a lot of other major cities. I live in Scranton being one of them. Um, huge suburban communities. But in terms of the geography of the state, we have 67 counties. But of those 67, 48 are rural. So rural meaning small town. Right. Um, not necessarily agricultural rural, but there's plenty of, of agriculture. We have more more people living in rural areas uh, in the state, more than 3 million than most states. We're probably second, third in the country in terms of the number of people living in rural areas. Um, but obviously a, a rich and, and, and diverse economy. Uh, and then just the history. I mean, there's, start with Gettysburg, um, uh, Independence Hall, in what southwestern Pennsylvania, so much history happened there before we had a government. Um, in in southwestern Pennsylvania, uh, Fort Necessity in, in Fayette County, and so many uh, places like that. I come from the kind of the coal mining, anthracite coal mining part of the state. That the other coal mining region is in in the southwest. So um, we have a lot to a story to tell about our history. Mm-hmm. Um, and increasingly, I think more and more people are realizing that as much as we have a historical foundation, we've got, we've got uh, the, the dynamics of a great future economy as well. So I think it's to begin and end with the people. Yeah, the people. Uh, you brought up something which I, I wanted to ask, and you reminded me, is your grandfather was a coal miner? He was. And then he moved to New York and went to law school? Well, he... he uh, like a lot of kids in the, in the anthracite coal mining areas, his father died at the age of 35 in the mines. Yeah. Um, and uh, when in those days when your father died, the oldest son or the close to oldest son, right. I, think he, I think he was second oldest, but he was pulled into a coal mine, had to go to work immediately to help their family right. at the age of 11. So between, between the ages of 11 and 15, basically a four-year period, he was, a, he was in the mines. Just, just unimaginable today. Such a young age. Yeah. yeah. But it was not atypical. Yeah. Um, he was with what they called a mule tender, um, where the, the mules were carrying the carts of coal out of the right. mines in 1905 when he started. And um, because your job as is, a young boy in the mines was to make sure that the, that the mule was connected to the the, the car and the straps that, that connected the mule to the car. Sometimes you would lean over to fix those straps. One time he got kicked in the face by a mule and had a huge cut starting his forehead across his eye, through his nose, it split his lip. Just a gash, which a doctor operated on his mother's dining room table. So, I mean, these things were, and there was no workers' compensation, yeah. very little health care. Yeah. Um, so that was his experience. And then between the ages like 15 and his early 20s, he did all kinds of odd jobs. 
sold insurance, worked for a streetcar company, right. um, did all kinds of things. Eventually got the equivalent of a high school degree when he was about 22, 23, and had no college education. But in those days, if you had enough employer affidavits of your work history, you could get into law school. So he applied to Fordham Law School, got in, finished law school, worked in New York for a couple of years, and then moved back, back to, to Scranton. To Scranton. Yeah. It's a good story because it kind of talks about America in a way that many people don't have that opportunity. Yeah. Well, like I said, my mother said, Kai, you're blessing. And a lot of days when I feel like you're a little tired and think, wow, he had it much rougher. I think so. I think yeah. so. Uh, so now we're going to do a little round a game, mm -hmm. which is called Kiss, Mary Trash. It has other names. Okay. But what it is is it's a ranking game. So I'm going to give you three things. What you would kiss. Right. What you would marry. Obviously, marrying being the most important. No, I... And what you would trash, which you would say I could do with that. So Mary is the highest category. Mary, kiss, okay. trash. Okay. Okay. This is, this is hard. one I haven't played before. Okay. Um, so the first one is easy. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? I think I would marry uh, lunch for some reason. Kiss for the other two. I wouldn't trash anything. You like them? You I, like. I, keep, I, I think when I was younger, I was skipping breakfast a lot. I try not to do that now. Okay. Um, keeping in mind that you're from the East Coast or, yep. you know, from cold weather areas. Seasons. Summer. Fall, winter. Well, this is easy. Um, definitely um, marry summer and spring, kiss fall, <laughs> and my God, I can't. I would love to get rid of winter. You're not a big snow and I'm everything. Tired of it. I'm tired of it. I hear you. Um, in music taste, yeah. pop music, country, hip hop. Uh, definitely, definitely marry pop music. I think um, the, the other two, I'd say both. Both kiss, but I, I'm I'm really behind on both. Okay, sports, and now you know, for your state, and you're also a sports, a, a, an athlete. Basket, you can do it personally or um, professionally, uh -huh. but sports: basketball, baseball, football. Yeah, certainly, Mary, basketball, um, kiss, baseball. Okay, so the last one is pastas: fusilli, penne, or spaghetti. Um, I'd I'd marry any of them. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. It's a great answer. Um, and then now we're kind of at the last question, which is I've asked each person that I've spoken with. And the question is, what does joy mean to you? What brings you joy? And how do you share joy? Because I do believe in this time we yeah. who can share joy, actually, it, it really is necessary and it feels good. Yep. Well, I think... My definition of joy is probably not surprising. It's family. Yeah. Um, really fortunate. My wife and I, as I said earlier, just were blessed by four wonderful daughters, uh, Lise, Caroline, Julie, and Marina. But now, as of starting in April of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic, that's when our grandsons arrived, or at least the first one did, and the second one came last summer. So I have Max and eight. Okay. And it is pretty remarkable. I used to hear people talk about being a grandparent. Yeah. And I thought, my God, it can't be that good. Um, if anything, it's better. I mean, you just can't even imagine it. It's a wholly different kind of of love. I mean, you get, you're, you're blessed to have both experiences as a parent and grandparent. But what I didn't realize is you get a whole new identity. I mean, you, you come into this child's life and 
first of all, you get a name. Either you choose a name or it's imposed upon you. Mine, what is yours? Mine is Bamba. Bamba? My maternal grandfather was called. For some reason, my, my oldest sister couldn't pronounce her. Said the, said a grandpa, said Bamba. So that was his name. He was a he was so wonderful to me, but he died when I was seven. So my daughter said to me, we well, got to pick a name. I didn't do it. I forgot to do it. And she said, well, we picked it for you. You're Bamba. And I thought, wow, am I worthy of that? Wow. But now I walk into the house, when their house where they come to ours, and Max and Aiden, they run towards you. I mean, what's better than and you're, there's no, they have no idea about who I am or what I've done with my life. They don't care. No. It's, it's, it's the, it's the definition of unconditional love. And that's about as good as you can get when it comes to joy. Well, you know, and it's a perfect way to end because the one thing that I hope and I believe people will get from this conversation is that it, again, it's not about the job you have. It's about the heart. Yeah. and your humanity and i want to thank you because i think you're a senator of a big state an important state you um are running for re-election and i think that people through this in your state and throughout the country have an opportunity from this 30 minutes to get to know somebody who they didn't have as well an opportunity before and you have a huge heart and your beautiful humanity and i love that you're bomba <laughs> I think that's the greatest role. And um, thank you for sharing. Best title. It might be your best title, but either way, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for what you do for so many people. And I'll go back to children and older people and just for our country. And, and it is important. Thank you. Hi, it's Liz. Please join me every Tuesday for coffee to talk about heart and humanity with our elected leaders. Ciao.